I think that that idea that there's more in you than you know kind of drives a lot of how I try to live my life. Whether it be in work, you can always do better, you can always work harder, you can always train harder. Whenever there's moments of doubt in a triathlon or a marathon or even in the training, you know, not, the races are not hard compared to the training. It's the training that's hard. But you're able to do it. It's in you. If you start doing it, you'll see that it's in you. And I think as much as anything, that concept for everybody informs a lot of what I do. That was Colin McCabe. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, Marnie on the Move listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to episode 78, but who's counting, right? This week, I have Colin McCabe, co-founder of Chopped Creative Salad Co., aka Chopped, joining me on the show. He is also a kiteboarder, TCS New York City Marathon runner, and Ironman triathlete. We sync up about where the inspiration and idea behind Chop began with his lifelong friend and co-founder, Tony Shore. How the company has changed the salad restaurant landscape with its unique recipes and flavored forward ingredients since its launch in 2001. In addition, we converse about his passion for sport, how his race training and business philosophies are similar, fueling him for success in all aspects of life. Colin shares some sage wisdom on his approach to marathoning and training. It's also a philosophy he shares with last week's guest, Matt Wilpers, world-renowned running and cycling coach and Peloton senior instructor. This conversation is a must-listen, no pressure. Back to Chopped. If you haven't already been to one of the 58-plus Chopped locations in nine states, I highly recommend you visit. They have a delicious variety of salads and warm bowls, with seasonal ingredients and a mix of both classic and innovative recipes for all to love. I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Scroll through the app on your phone or your iPad or your device. Click on write a review, leave five stars, and tell us what you love about the show. Now, on to the episode. Tell me about Chopped. Okay, well, I'll go back a while here. Tony Shore is my best friend and partner in Chopped, co-founder. Chopped was born out of this conversation that we started having in college. We're both from New York City. I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And while we were there, we were faced with a fast food landscape that was totally unhealthy. And we were not health nuts by any stretch of the imagination, but we thought, you know, we can't eat like this all the time. And so we started having this conversation about fast food that is actually healthful and super flavorful. And this term fast casual that exists today didn't exist back then. For us, it was just better fast food. And fast forward to 2001, when we opened our doors in Union Square in New York City, it was the first chopped opening. We were taking at the time what was considered a side dish, the salad and trying to elevate it to a main course and the whole meal. And in order to do that at that time, we knew we had to make it unbelievably flavorful, and we knew that we had to recruit all the people who were eating burgers, burritos, pizza for lunch and dinner into salad eaters. And we did that through flavor. And so back then, as we do today, we went on this unbelievably exhaustive search not only locally for the best ingredients, but also globally for the very best flavors that we would reintroduce in salad form. And what we wanted people to do was to come into Chopped and experience a salad unlike anything they had ever tasted. And when they were done, they would think, wow, I've never had a salad that tasted that good. And two is, I feel a lot better than I did when I ate someplace else the other day. Healthier, cleaner, lighter, And that still informs everything we do today. It is still about this 
search for ingredients, this search for flavors, finding artisans who are doing the best in what they do in food. And that can be the people from Seed and Mill who make the tahini we use on our lemon tahini dressing, the people from Mama Lil's who make the very best pickled cherry peppers. The list goes on and on, and it varies from market to market because we're always trying to find people that are doing great things and try to tell their story through our menu and all the different channels of communication that we have. And how do you find some of these local artisans that you work with in different markets? We, we have a food and beverage team that spends a lot of time on the ground sourcing all of these ingredients. There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of research that Tony and I do. And it's often a long search, but all of our decisions are dictated by what tastes best. And so how many markets are you in now? We're currently in nine markets. On Monday, I'll be in Atlanta for our third restaurant opening in Atlanta. That's our most recent market. Before that was Nashville, Tennessee. We're building there now. We have a relatively aggressive growth strategy for a company that we've always, and it's always been important for us to have a very thoughtful growth strategy because we have seen this a thousand times. Young companies grow too fast, and the first thing to suffer is the food. Second thing to suffer is the hospitality. And we started this business as restaurant guys. We were just out of college, but I'd worked in restaurants. Tony had worked in restaurants. And for us, above all else, it's the food and it's the hospitality. And, um, and that's what we're focused on today. That's so interesting. And so how did you, so when you were in college, you said you weren't like eating this way, but were you into sports and wellness? I think that what was important, it's funny, we used to go to Pizza Hut because they had a salad buffet because we just needed something green right. and, and we weren't getting it anywhere else. And this was not a healthful salad. This was right. the Caesar salad that had been sitting out on the line for, but, but whatever it was, we would take it. Um, and so, no, we weren't particularly healthy, right? but I think that's important because for us, it was everybody should be able to eat this way. Right. People need to eat this way. It is the only sustainable way to eat for the long term. Yes. I and, mean, and the world has changed so much since you guys opened your first Chopped. I mean, the whole food landscape is the health and wellness and salads have it, blown up in a really good way. Totally explosive. Like on menus. In I a way that we never yeah. could, we could never see. We're happy it's here. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, you guys, and you guys really paved the way as far as I know. I mean, I remember when you first opened in New York and it was very exciting. You have so many amazing ingredients and different types of salads and also not just salads. Yeah. We launched last year are these warm bowls that have been fantastic. I'm eating them. I eat it chopped five days a week. Right. I'm a number one user of Chopped and not because I'm auditing the food. Right. I go because I love the food and I can eat there on any different occasion depending on what I feel like that particular day. So yeah, we've launched these warm bowls. They've, they've been a real hit and I'm even eating them now even though it's you know, close to 95 degrees. degrees. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm excited about all the innovation in our menu and that's you know, a core principle for us from the beginning was always be innovating, constantly be changing the menu. We have a super dynamic menu that changes every 90 days. We, in those 90 days, we come up with three new dishes that highlight new ingredients and new flavors that we've sourced. And that's a way to not only keep our guests really interested in what we're doing, but to highlight seasonality in what we're sourcing to introduce these new flavors and also the artisans, again, whose story we want to tell. And, you know, from... We also look at it as entrepreneurs. We find people that are doing these great things in food, and we want to help them. And And oftentimes, as we've gotten a little bit larger, some of these small companies are able to achieve some volume by, by working with Chopped, and, and we feel great about that because one is it's a win for a customer right? because they're, they're, they're getting these ingredients and learning about these products, and it's good for them as well, because they've got more of a showcase for what they're doing. 
all the recipes are chef inspired. What are some of your favorite salads that you are eating right now at Chopped? Well, we recently debuted our three new destination specials. So when those first come out, I eat those a lot. Right now, I've been eating the Georgia Summer Cobb Salad a lot that highlights fresh corn that we source locally, peaches that are in season right now, spinach, romaine, blue cheese, crispy shallots, and has an amazing honey Dijon vinaigrette. I've also been eating our, and this is a great one, this is a return of the Key West jerk chicken salad. That one, it's got jicama, jerk chicken, a creamy habanero dressing, and I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm really a fan of that. And that is one we had served before. We, we, we get so much feedback from our guests. I was just going to ask you, yeah. And we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because we roll out these specials and people really come to like them and count on them and eat them with frequency. And then we take them away. Right. And we get emails from our guests that are angry. You moron took away my favorite salad. What oh are you my thinking? God. And it puts this pressure on our food and beverage team, which is a very, very deep team of seasoned chefs and professionals and which is so great for me and Tony to to have that resource it puts this pressure for us to get better in our next round because the worst thing that could happen is that those guests of ours will come and they will be disappointed and want what they had before more than what's currently being offered now we also know what sells really well and we know what people like so there are times when we will reintroduce certain salads and we will put some of those salads that we've introduced in our seasonal specials onto the core menu. Right. I've seen like you have your classics. That's right. That's yeah. right. The classic menu is change. It changes every year, but there's some favorites that never leave. And then we put new ones on that people really given us positive feedback. On. And do you know what the best selling salad is? The Mexican Caesar and the chicken tinga. Really? Are really up there. Nationwide or just in New York City? No, across the board. Really? Yeah. That's so that's amazing. one of our that's one of our core salads and one of our warm bowls. It sounds like you know a lot about food way beyond somebody who is a co founder and an entrepreneur. Like it sounds a little bit like when you talk about the ingredients that you're passionate about that. So was that your original role when you started the business, was like picking out the recipes? and Tony and I, for sure, still are very involved in the menu, but, and Tony and I were talking earlier today, but definitely in the beginning, it was just us. But today, we've got this incredible team, and their ideas and execution are so much better than even we are able to conceive of. So... We definitely have input and in our food and beverage meeting uh, yesterday, which is, it's a very kind of open, honest, sometimes brutal setting where we're just pushing as hard as we can to innovate and create the very best food around. And that is not always a totally comfortable process because you, you're being extremely critical, which we are, and exacting so that you're serving the very best food. What inspires your team for the recipes that they're developing? It's, it's what's in season locally in that market. So does it change in different markets? or? It's the same in each market. We source from different people depending on the market. Okay. But what inspires us is it, every 90 days, we're picking a different part of the world. And we are doing a deep, deep dive into the food of that region and culture. And so... It could be Vietnam. We often do trips to Mexico. It could be California. And we could highlight the spicy Sonoma Caesar, which is one of our best sellers of all time. So we're inspired by the flavors of other parts of the world and then spend a lot of time looking locally to find the right ingredients to to put into those dishes. And so now how has your role changed since you started? We're a bigger company right. now mm-hmm. and so we because we're a bigger company, I think we need to know when to step back a little bit and let people work and do their thing and have their say. It's always important for us that we've been very honest from the beginning about what we don't know. Right. And there's a lot um, so we are happy to have a much bigger organization. We're 
professionals with a lot of experience come in and are able to have autonomy and free reign in, in their department. We will always be extremely involved in the food, the creative direction of the company. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the road looking for new real estate, mm-hmm. which from a business point of view is as critical a decision as you can make, uh, right. what, what sites you're going to open. And a lot of time spending, spending time in the restaurants that are already open, making sure that this original standard for excellence that was so important to us and still is, is still being met. And that just means Tony and I out there communicating with the managers, meeting everybody in the restaurants, talking about the founding mission of this company, which is very rooted in a, in a, a high standard for how we operate and present ourselves. Are you also involved in the topics and stories that are on your blog? Because you have a really good blog. That is so fascinating because I've learned about some really interesting places and eateries and local artisans around the world. Yeah, Tony has made more of those trips and he's, he's done it with this woman, Julia Sherman, a.k.a. Salad for President uh-huh. on Instagram, <laughs> who is an unbelievably creative woman, fantastic ph- photographer and writer. And they've gone on a lot of these trips, as have others on the food and beverage team, to do exactly as I was talking about before, do a deep dive, not only into the, the regions that are inspiring some of these flavors, but meeting the people who are producing the food. So that's, that continues on. Yeah. And now, so what do you do now? It sounds like you have a lot of fun when you're working, but what are you doing when you're not working? Like what, what do you do for fun? Aside from spending time with my wife and two young kids, uh-huh. which is uh, another full-time job, it's important to me to be active and spend as much time, especially now outdoors, as right. much as possible. Right. So my interests are in triathlon, kiteboarding, anything that is outdoors, right. uh, spending time in the ocean, paddleboarding and surfing. In the in the winter time, I, I I index more on MMA and things like that. So I'm, it's a pretty broad stroke, and I find that I start to get into things pretty intensely. Yeah, and that's been the case with triathlon for sure. But I always try to continue to do other things because I just think it's a healthier way to be. Right, and so you, these are the things that have fueled you throughout your career for success and to be able to do what you do with your family, and also with Chopped. That's right. That's right. I, I think that most important for me now, when we started single, in the restaurant all the time, other parts of my life probably sacrificed a little bit. But as I mature a little bit, I find that it's all in this, uh, this search for balance. And, and, and balance for me is a strong home life, a strong work life, and a strong physical life. Right. right. So you are an avid skier. When, we, when I first saw you earlier, before we started this conversation, we were talking about how you just got back. You had a, a serious ski accident. I'm an avid skier. I, I don't, not anymore. <laughs> um, the fact is, I ski once a year, oh, and and right. and I love skiing. <laughs> yeah. And I ski a little more. I go out to Connecticut with my kids, and we ski. But I do one big ski trip a year, and I ski with a lot of incredible skiers. And and this last trip, I was in a particularly uh, interesting part of the mountain, and I crashed on a very steep part at full speed. And I dislocated, broke two bones, and tore my labrum in my left shoulder. And I was fortunate that it wasn't my neck or my knee, as we discussed, because that's really, that, that would be debilitating. But, but that has kind of changed everything for me a little bit over the past four months. So you are, so because you are really a triathlete, yes. and that's kind of like your day-to-day training, what you do. And now things are changing. Well, things things have changed. Over the past five years, I've gotten really into triathlon, culminating in in doing a full-distance Ironman. And this this did change things. And 
I crashed and I realized the first thing that hit me was, wow, one, this hurts. Two, this is gonna, you're going to have to be dealing with this for a long time. And I knew right away I had to have a positive outlook on it. And because I've been going hard for a number of years, hey, take it easy for a little while. Right. Work on things that you weren't working on before. Work on spending more time at home or spend more time working on parts of my body that I had, I had maybe been neglecting. So I spent a lot of time working on my lower body, legs, doing uh, weight-bearing exercises, core, things that you know in heavy triathlon training you're not doing as much of. And that's even self-care and, and massage and relaxing, rest. Yeah. You know, rest I've found, especially through all this, is as important for anything. And this was just a longer term rest period. Do you feel like there are a lot of parallels between work and sport? Yeah, I think that they're the things that are most interesting to me about triathlon, especially as it relates to real life, is dealing with levels of discomfort and and working through them. Mm -hmm. And also kind of a whole life organization. You know, the demands of Ironman training are intense. Yes. And then they need to work in concert with other parts of your life. And when I was first training for this Ironman, I was working with this coach. Uh, his name is Bob C. Bahar. He's out of Colorado. He's an amazing guy. And I said to him, make me an experiment. I want to do Ironman Wisconsin where I went to college. Right. So I want to go back and, and, and do that one. And I want to do it, and this is my first one, I want to do it in 12 hours. And I want to do it in as least amount of training as possible. So make me an experiment and, and do it. And still, there's no two ways about it. The training is intense. Yeah. There's seven, eight-hour training days. There's two-a-days. Really? There's, I've there's never done a all fall. of that. And it was, it was difficult. I had to buy my family a puppy Ugh. because I felt so guilty after <laughs> one of my long rides so that I, I, I was six hours into a bike ride and you know my 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 kids are at home and they didn't care right right? (laughs) but I felt so guilty guilty. we all go through that I got home and said surprise I'm going to get you a puppy and it was all based out of this guilt so now we have a puppy named Max it's true the training is intense I actually haven't trained for a full Ironman I've done a lot of half distance like 70.3s yeah which are which are amazing and and I, 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 I we talked a little bit uh, about it before. I think my hardest experience was in a 70.3 oh, because really? it was the conditions were extremely hot and miserable. And if you if you make an error, you're hurting for the rest of it. And I went out way too fast on my bike and I spent a couple hours in, in real agony. Which race was it? Do you remember? It was Raleigh, North Carolina and okay. where we have restaurants. Right. So I was spending time down there and it was in June and it was... 90 degrees plus with 90% humidity. And somebody had told me before the race, hey, I've done this race a bunch of times. Take it easy. Don't go too fast. I said, sure. He said, you'll be walking on the run if you do. And I did exactly what he told me not to do. And I was walking for parts of that run and and hurting. Yeah. And once you start walking on the run, it's over. That's right. You really can't get, you can't, it's so hard to start running again. It's really, it's really hard to recover. And I did that. I did that after the marathon. Yeah. I mean, speaking of triathlon, I mean, I would love to hear about your marathon experience also, because I think it's relevant to where we're going with the topic. I think, well, maybe like a lot of people who are starting to get a little older, there, there was a time about five, six years ago where I thought, you know, I have all these, these things that I want to do and, um, and one of them being the Iron Man. And I remember when I was a little kid, I used to watch Mark Allen and Dave Scott, epic Kona battles. And I thought to myself back then, I got to do this someday. And I went out and I got an Iron Man Timex, the one I'm wearing now. And I've got to do this someday. And it's always been on my mind. And I eventually said, hey, I don't ride a bike. I, I know how to run. My swimming's not so good. But I'm going to do this. And that's a long road. And I and I started running. I did a half half marathon. I did a marathon in Austin, Texas. 
Which you was, like the heat. Which was great <laughs> in the hills. You'd think it would be flat, but it was very hilly. Oh, Austin is a very surprising place. It, it is and an awesome place. Yes. I love Austin. I finished that marathon and, I, and then I went to run my first New York marathon. I'm going to run this in three and a half hours. It was my first year of marathon running. This is what I'm going to do. And I started running that marathon and we had had a really brutal, intense week of work before. I'm forgetting the reasons, but I wasn't well rested. It was a hot, hotter than usual day. This is five years ago. And I started running and about halfway through, we got to the half marathon point and I realized I wasn't going to reach this goal of three and a half hours. And I got unbelievably down on myself and depressed and, oh my God, I'm such a loser. I'm not going to reach three and a half hours. And then we got closer to the finish line. Okay, maybe it'll be 342 or whatever it was. And I started sprinting and I was I was blowing by my water stops. And at mile 25.9, I started to go and I full on passed out. And I don't remember most of it, but I do remember waking up in a me- medical tent right next to the course. And I was in agony. And they let me walk, hobble across the finish line. But it was a wake-up call for me because there was no reason I should have had all this pressure on myself. Right. Three and a half hours is not a big deal. It's not, I'm not making money for this. I'm, right. It, it's, it's not just, your job. It's fun. It, yeah. It's supposed to be fun. And, and it was emba- embarrassing and it was painful. And I started just, it didn't deter me from wanting to do the Ironman, but it really made me take a look at my outlook. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this to be fun. I'm doing this because this is a childhood goal of mine. Right. And have fun while doing it. And so I'm kind of fortunate for that episode, albeit painful and probably embarrassing. If you've watched any marathons, you've probably seen at the end people that that happens to. And it's an ugly, ugly sight. And you watch it through your, you know, your hands. Yeah. And so after that, I I started just, hey, I started to take it a little bit easier and just had fun with it. So, yeah, I, I learned how to ride a bike. I spent some time in the pool. I really don't like public pools, so I decided I'm not going to do so much of that. And Where then, do you live in the city? I live uh, on 60th Street, 66th Street. So there's... Um, there's asphalt green. Yeah, but that's far from you. Oh, you live on the east side. But I, I, I don't like indoor pools. No, everything I do, I just want to enjoy. Yeah. So I wanted to spend as little time indoors as possible. Yes. But that being said, you know, with the with the triathlon, you have to spend time on your bike inside and in the poor weather, and and that that is what it is. So is that something like what do you what is the parallel to triathlon in your career? Like as you're growing your business and as you you know, build, chopped, and expand and increase, diff- you know, ingredients or menu items, like how you're growing your brand. One other thing that I've done that has been really important to me is something called Outward Bound. And oh, okay. I don't okay. know if you know about it, but in, I think people usually equate it with wayward youths who who go on these, these um, expeditions in nature without any obviously technology, but really nothing. Um, and I did one when I was in college. And Outward Bound was started by this guy named Kurt Hahn. And the whole tenet of it is that there's more in you than you know. And I did one about six years ago, five or six years ago, where I just went away for eight days into the wilds of Colorado. You don't have any water. You have to find your water. You you spend time on a solo and it's in, and it's intense and a, some of the intense part was just being with a group of strangers that I'd never spent time with in kind of adverse conditions and I think that that idea that there's more in you than you know kind of drives a lot of how I try to live my life whether it be in work you can always do better you can always work harder you can always train harder like Whenever there's moments of doubt in a triathlon or a marathon or even in the training, you know, not, the races are not hard compared to the training. It's the training that's hard, but you're able to do it. It's in you. Yes. Right. If you start doing it, you'll see that it's in you. And I think as much as anything, that concept for everybody informs a lot of what I do. 
for me, it's very similar in that like there's always more you can do. There's always more in you. There's always like that extra push. That is how I race too. Though yeah. also I kind of race safe because yeah. I don't know. You know, if I know the course, then I'm more risky. And so now that you're slowly getting back to training or exercising and working out. That's right. How do you feel about that? I mean, you were sort of describing before, like when you woke up from passing out when you were skiing, you know, from the accident, like how the first things that went through your mind, but then what went through your mind, like after that, like when you got home and you were like, okay. Well, post-surgery is an uncomfortable time. Again, really felt fortunate that it wasn't my neck or or my knee. It was such a freak fast, violent event that it could have been worse. So I I think in the beginning, I decided to be positive about it. But no doubt, sleep was hard to come by. I couldn't do simple things that I take for granted. And so I just tried to, I just tried to, just to submit. Like embrace the opportunity. To embrace the opportunity to rest and to not complain and to not whine and to and to deal with it and and it was good and now I'm finding as things start to get better and I've got range of motion and I'm, it's not where I want it to be that I can go out and start I'm back on my road bike I spent 15 minutes swimming which is about as much as I could take and hopefully I can build that up to a mile point two, which is the half Ironman distance, and I'm getting back into running. So, you know, post my full distance Ironman, my goal has been every year there's a half Ironman out in Montauk that I've done a couple times, which is really beautiful, and I would always like to do that and then run the New York Marathon. It's in October. Yeah, that's right. It's in October, and then you have the New York Marathon in November. Yeah. The past four years I've done the New York Marathon. I would like to continue that streak. I feel like I'm a little up against it time-wise, but yeah. should be okay. So on an ongoing basis, I still have the drive to do that. I want to. I always want to feel as if I'm fit and prepared enough to do a half Ironman. If, any day. And a marathon at any given point, and, and that's usually you know in the, in, in the fall. And I feel like looking long-term, Hopefully that's sustainable and I haven't had any other than this shoulder surgery, any major uh, injuries with any of my triathlon training, which I think is one of the great things of triathlon training. Yes. You're not doing too much of one thing. Yeah. And so hopefully I can, I can do those two events every year for as long as, you know, who knows. There's somebody that's over 90 that does the New York City Marathon. I just interviewed Michael Caparasso uh-huh. and we were, t- yeah. we were talking about it. He has a book. I don't know his name. I have to look it up. But I mean, I think that's, I feel like the same, you know, I want to be able to, you know, as much as you know, like we were talking before, I don't have a race lined up. There's a couple races possibly that I'm going to do. There's Mighty Hamptons, which is an Olympic distance sprint. I know it. I've done that. Yeah. That is a fun race yeah. with event power. And that's they right. also do the other. That's the one in Sag Harbor. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, great, a great swim. Race. It's an awesome yeah. swim. It's like my favorite swim. But yeah. I mean, you know, I'm trained for that. I could do that tomorrow, but That's I'm right. not like going, you know, and, and every, so every, I try to maintain my fitness. So how do you, so you're just coming back and you're sort of like building back from an injury. So it's going to take you a little bit longer. So are you, are you signed up for the marathon this year or? I haven't signed up yet, but, uh, but, um, but I think in the next couple of weeks I, I will. And you think you can, you think you'll be able to run? I'm going to start testing it. Yes. And so right now I'm up to eight miles and that's not a lot, but, uh, but, but I'm doing that pain free. So I, I will continue to push it and, and see how far I can get it. And I, I really don't expect it to be a problem. Right. Um, at least I'm operating under that assumption. Right. And so I'm I, sure it won't be even if you want to. That that's right. I think it'll be okay. So that's the plan. And then um, where do you ride? Do you ride up over nine W? I have never done that ride. I am a New Yorker who's terrified of cycling in New York City. I in when I'm in the city, mm-hmm. I spend time on my trainer bike. Right. Do you have and, a... and I just got Zwift. 
Um, me too. I I'm just signed up for Zwift. It's incredible. That's what I'm doing tonight. It's so. <laughs> that's it, my that's my plan tonight is to get on really Zwift great. and do like an hour and a half ride. And I used to for the Ironman and other events. I had trained on Trainer Road, mm-hmm. which was pure pain with no distraction, and Zwift is pain with some distraction. Right. So I appreciate that part yes. of Zwift. But usually I'll go do my long rides out in Long Island, and. But in the interest of self-preservation, road biking's dangerous. Yes, it's so dangerous, which is why I love my trainer. That's that's right. And you know, I, after this shoulder incident, the skiing injury, I went to go see my physical therapist, and I said, "What are the two?" I basically knew the answer to this before, but yeah. he confirmed that the main two reasons people are going to see him are skiing and road biking. Yeah, and take it from your personal trainer yeah and that, so so I'm, I'm cautious when i i ride but i but i ride out in long island on the weekends i ride with this guy who if anybody's ever out in e- the east hampton area there's a guy named jimmy minardi he's i know ex- i know jimmy minardi no way How, is he well okay tell okay. me okay he's well he's an ex-pro cyclist he's okay. a yoga instructor he's a black belt in martial arts he's an all-around he's my fitness guru is uh-huh. what he is. Yeah. And I and we still ride every Sunday and he taught me how to ride from a zero. Yeah. to I actually did something called Ride the Rockies with okay. him. Okay. That's cool. Uh, and that was about 3 years ago where it's a, it was 400 miles, 30,000 feet of elevation gain over the highest peaks in Colorado. And it's every year and the course changes. And it was a trial by fire for me into road cycling. How many miles a day do you ride? Up to 95, uh, down to 60, but every day with a tremendous amount of elevation like gain. Five, and, 10, and at altitude. Yeah. yeah. Right? That Which sounds is, awesome. It was one of the great weeks of my life. It was really, it really incredible. And I learned everything I needed to know. Well, there's still more to learn, but I learned a lot, a lot about technical. riding a bike. Yeah. A lot of technical riding. The Ironman Wisconsin course is extremely technical, so my shifting I felt was was great. And you know, when you get into the longer distances, it's all about efficiency, and yeah. and that's something he is really helped me with. I don't know how I know him. His name is. I mean, I've definitely. I think his name is out there, and 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 there's just nothing. But there's a whole like culture. only positive things to say. Yeah, about like him. there's a whole culture of triathletes in yeah. New York City that yeah. all know each other but the whole 9w thing there's a whole scene i know and i'm embarrassed 9W. to say i've never done it but no, i but hear about how what a great ride it is it's and... like there's a really big shoulder so getting out of the city is definitely challenging and there's of course you have to be so careful like you really can't not pay attention when you're on your bike but there's such a cool culture of people that you know, hang out at Strictly Bikes on the weekend. Everybody talks, you know, it's no, I it's mean, like, you know, they're talking about watches or they're talking about their bikes or their wheels or, you know, races they've done. I don't know. I geek out on all of that. Like, it's, it's half yeah. the fun. Yeah. And that's how I, I feel about kiteboarding. Oh, too. wait. It's so, so gear We didn't even intensive. get to talk about kiteboarding yet. It's the one thing, if I have a training day planned for anything triathlon or yeah. marathon related, I'll shelve it for kiteboarding. And it is such, I, I started doing it maybe 12 years ago. It's one of those sports that mm-hmm. I first saw and thought, I'm going to learn how to do that. And it is, it, it's unbelievably technical, but uh, fast, yeah. fun, vertical. There's a vertical element when you start jumping. Yeah. It's just really a beautiful sport to me. And wind is hard to come by. So when yeah. it's, when, when there is wind, I'm, I'm kiteboarding. Do you kiteboard out east too? Yeah. By yeah. Napique? That, that's exactly where, so, that's where I, I learned. Yeah. yeah. Did you learn with a skater? No. Oh, that's so funny that you bring him up. Skate, <laughs> skater was my first lesson and I did a few lessons with yeah. skater. And then I decided... Hey, I'm too old to get yelled at yeah. this much uh, for a lesson, uh, for a kiteboarding lesson. Yeah. So I stopped seeing Skater. Yeah. And he's no longer there. No. Um, I haven't been there. I have, so I've, I've so been funny. windsurfing since I'm like 16. Oh, no way. And I've been going out to Nat Peak for years. I used to do all the ABK clinics. Wow. But I've never tried kitesurfing. I, I will one day. 
but it, it's too many things. It's a, it, it's a, <laughs> too much it, gear. It, it, Not there's, for, a, yeah. there's a lot of gear, yeah. and if you're already uh, if you're already on to, the water, on the water, then it's it's another skill, and there's a steep learning curve. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could just from being out at Napeak all the yeah. time and watching all the kiteboarders. And yes, wind is scarce. That's so the best scarce. time to windsurf or to be on the water out there is May, That's right. September, October, which is also triathlon season. I know. So it's hard. Yeah. It's a tough decision. I actually, yeah. But, but I really feel and have found that any training is good and... I rest is good and I um, and not taking these things so seriously is good and if I'm able to kiteboard and I'm losing five to ten minutes on my overall time in a half Ironman because I skipped the one so so be it right right but it takes a long time to get to that place with triathlon where you can be like relaxed about the race and the training it takes you know you because you go into it like with such a different mindset that's that's absolutely right and i and i found that the the iron man distance really helped me because afterwards i felt that nothing was so daunting and i still before i i do a marathon or a half iron man anxious and that pre-race excitement and i still want to perform well but I'm not willing to sacrifice everything during the training right. in order to eke out extra time because yeah. I, I love kiteboarding. I love doing other things. Yeah. And, and if those things come up, I'll do it. But yeah, still training to do my best. I learned that lesson this year with just relaxing about it because I started this podcast and I yeah. also you know, have another company. Yes. And so it's been, it's a lot. It's like that 10 hours a week that I was training. I'm working on other stuff. And so I still train, but I haven't been as serious. But I still, like I went, I said I did the 70.3 in Connecticut. And that's a, yeah, a, it was a, great, a but hard, hard course. Yeah, yeah, but that's how I roll. Yeah. I would love to see Chopped at the finish line one of these days of some of these races that we're doing. I'm sure so many athletes, including you, are eating at Chopped on the regular while training. Definitely, at least for me, I've used Chopped for my training more than anything. And, yeah. you know, I, I, what you're putting into your body during all this training is as important as what you're doing yeah. while you're, right, the actual training itself. And so when I was doing all the Ironman training, I was following more of a primal diet, you know, right. Mark Sisson and, yes. and, and who I love. And, and I got really into zero grains and zero sugar and high protein and a lot of vegetables. And I ate it chopped every day following that. And now I really think it's a, extremely effective for me. It was, and I've moved more to intermittent fasting Oh, you are, and okay. I've relaxed some of those things and I eat some more whole grains and I um, a little bit more relaxed on the sugar thing. And then so I can still eat it chopped. And so I, I do think that chopped for for me and for others can fit any kind of training that you're that yeah. you're doing. And so I, I think you're right. I think chopped does line up for for anybody's wellness health goals. Yeah. Um and 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 would be a good marketing partner for something like Iron Man. Yeah, or, I mean I know I know it's marathon. like outrageously expensive it and it's like such a small market right so i'll tell you one I sponsorship we, yeah. we, we did i got a i received an email a number of years ago from this guy named john kelly and i don't know if you've heard of him he's a little under the radar but in the ultra running community he's the, the real deal and he said i eat it chopped every day i'm an ultra runner i'm wondering if you do any sponsorships said no we don't but i really appreciated him reaching out so i sent him a bunch of free salad cards anytime he wanted to eat it chopped i was feeding him he said i have this race coming up called the barkley marathon oh my god he did the bark that's how i know him he finished and won he's the last person to finish and win it that john kelly okay and so he and i had this great correspondence he would come to new york we would have lunch together he's since moved to the uk where he just attempted one of the most unbelievably daunting endurance feats uh, that i had heard of but uh that was an ultra runner who was 
I mean, if you're winning the Barkley Marathon, yeah. you're, you're as good as it gets. And, that's that's and, like and next was, level. And Ollie Woody was, or at least a lot of his diet was chopped. And, and so that meant a lot to me. So we sponsored him. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I just, I always think, you know, whenever I, uh, whenever I finish a race, I'm like, I really want to eat something healthy that is substantial. So like not. After a race, I'm getting whatever's there that's soft. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, like I just, it usually ends up being pizza yeah. or something I mean, like I, that. Yeah. The next day, then I'll go to chop because I'm actually recovering. Right. But uh, right after the race, it, it's usually it's usually pizza. Yeah, right? really? That's your food? it's just soft. I, I, there's something that after a race, I, I think it's from the heavy breathing for so long. Yeah. My throat is sore. I'm, I, I just don't, I want something kind of smooth in texture for yeah. lack of a better term i don't know what do you do for fueling when you're racing do you do gels and I liquid? Do gels I, well one of the things that i've used um there's another person you may know of him his name is michael ghost Dijon. he's an ex-olympian he did the pentathlon and he's really helped me with my training a lot and he introduced me to something called you can okay yeah and that before a race or before a long training session has has been as good as anything that I've ever tried and for really long-term uh, energy. And then during a race, I'll, I'll do gels on the bike usually that this is in the half Ironman yeah, distance. Yeah, it depends on the distance. And then caffeine gum during the run I've really liked and some electrolytes along the way. Yeah. But I try to keep it you know pretty light on the food, full distance Ironman real foods yeah. on the bike, peanut butter crackers, um, yeah. a lot of you can. On the run, more gels and caffeine gels, what got me through. And especially in the full distance, nailing the nutrition is as important as anything. Yeah. And uh, it was important that I set a plan and followed it exactly, which I, which I did. So yeah, you helps. can't think about it. It's like, it's got to be like a non, there's no thinking. You just have to follow the directions when you're, especially when you're out on the bike and you're just like zoning out. That's right. And yeah, you're not hungry. You don't want to. And, and things like dehydration, you don't know you're dehydrated and yeah. until it's too late. Yeah. Right? So once again, I have taught my all time conversation mm. about triathlon mm. <laughs> and sports. Mm. What are, is there anything we didn't talk about, about CHOP that you want to mention or talk about? I think when I talk about CHOP, I always try to talk about the charitable aspect of CHOP. Yeah. Whenever we have a new opening, and, and we'll do this in Atlanta too, is we've always tried to pick a local charity um, in the community that we're working with that usually is involved around food and helping children or people eat better. Um, but our main charitable, charitable partner is, and this is a woman you should really have on too. Okay. Her name is Nancy Easton has a charity called Wellness in the Schools. And for over 10 years, WITS has been our main charitable partner. And Nancy Easton founded this charity with the whole goal of improving kids' um, uh, nutrition and choices in, in the New York City public schools. And what we've done with WITS is we go and we adopt schools and their kitchens. And these schools usually have greater than 95% poverty rate and we will infuse a lot of money, and our F&B team will spend time at these schools, improving the operations of the kitchen and the ingredients that they use. And we spend time in that schools, you know, serving and teaching the kids about crudite and vegetables and different dressings. And some don't like it, but some love it. And right. but all with this goal of having kids eat better, having them learn about better ingredients. The idea being that a lot of these kids go to the school and they're having all of their nutrition, their, all their needs met at, the, at these schools. And it's right. pizza and it's bagels and cream cheese and it's you know french chicken fries, nuggets and, and french fries and grilled cheese. And that's just not good enough and especially a lot of sugary stuff. And that's just not good enough for, for kids. So wellness in the schools is a way to combat that. And Nancy Easton is a, a force. I would love Tri to interview her. I will definitely find. Oh, she's also a triathlete. Oh, oh, yes, in ways that I am not. Um, so, always, you know, when Tony and I started Chopped, we were just again out of college and really had an idealistic version and vision of what we wanted Chopped to be, and we wanted a restaurant that 
treated our, our, our employees with respect and um, treat our customers with respect, elevate the level of food that was being served in a fast format, and serve a higher purpose by, by helping others who, weren't, who, who maybe couldn't afford to eat at CHOP eat better. And wellness in the schools embodies that. It's always been very important to us since we started, and, and, and our work with them continues. It's our only long-lasting charitable partner. That's awesome. I definitely want to connect with Nancy. Yeah. When you started Chopped, did you think you would have as many locations, or it would be what it is today when you first opened your initial restaurant? I knew that if we did things right, we, we had an opportunity to do that, to, to get to this size. But I also saw many times young concepts and people that we would speak to and say, we're opening up a restaurant, then we're going to open up 100 of them. And that never, next year we're going to have 20, whatever it may be. And that, that just never worked. Right. And so for us, the idea was build a company that you would want to eat at at any stage of your growth and be thoughtful about your choices in terms of real estate and how you're sourcing the food and your menu creation and do it in a way that is sustainable. And for us, it's really, it's like a marathon, not a sprint. If I was serving cheeseburgers or something else, maybe I wouldn't feel that way, but I eat at Chopped every single day and I want to continue to be eating at Chopped in, in 10 years. I believe in the food we're serving. I believe that it's the way to eat for a healthful, you know, long life. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that the food continues to get better every day and that we're a healthy company in 10 years. That's awesome. Well, thank you. This has been really, really great. Awesome. I had so much fun. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me. Marnie on the move one at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of if you have questions for our guests just reach out 